Hopefully you're able to grab some of the notes when you came in with the bulletin. If not, I hope you're able to get up quickly and go grab some. You will probably want the notes as we will be going through a passage in the book of Matthew today, Matthew 16, 5 through 20. And the reason for this text, other than, of course, praying in the Lord, uh, laying it on my heart, was the fact that um, this year is 500 the 500-year anniversary of when Martin Luther, the German reformer, this German monk that was part of the Protestant Reformation, he wasn't the only one, of course. There were others. John Knox, Ulrich Zwingli, uh, John Hus, John Calvin, a lot of Johns in there, um, John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, and others. God used in many ways to reform the church. And the point of the time was not to try to start new churches. That wasn't their goal. Their goal was to reform the church that existed. That's why we see the Reformation. The idea of that Protestant would be the protesting against what the church was teaching at the time, the Roman Catholic Church, and these different reformers God used to push back and ultimately start the group. We have, of course, the Catholic Church that existed. We have the Orthodox Church in 1054 where the Catholic Church split off and became two different groups. And then in the 14, 15, 1600s, we see the Protestant Reformation take place to where the other groups that we know today as far as Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, others, would be from that tradition of those protesting against the false teachings of the Catholic Church. And so we're going to look at a text today that kind of lines up with this anniversary of when Martin Luther had to go and give an account for his works. And they, they actually asked him at this, if you read it, it says Diet of Worms, but that sounds strange to us, especially in English. It would be more of a Diet of Worms. Worms would be the place in Germany. They don't say the W like we do. They say more of a V there. But this was a place where he had to give a defense for his work. And he had the emperor there, the pope, and everybody. And it really was kind of, at the time, Martin Luther, at, at least against most of the known world and the false teachings that existed in the church. And so they asked him two questions at this diet, or diet, if you prefer. They laid out all of his works, and they asked him first, and they said, are these your works? And he kind of looked around and said, yeah, these are my works. And then they said, will you recant from what you've been teaching? Now, it was very very important to realize that to be outside or put outside of the church and that understanding would mean excommunication and you are not going to be saved. But Martin Luther was convinced through his studies through the years before that what the church was teaching was wrong. What they were teaching was a works-based salvation instead of being justified by faith in Christ. Saved by grace, not works. And friends, I'll have you know that that has not changed even today. If you look at the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, they will teach salvation by grace and works, which the moment you add the and works, you lose the grace. Likewise, there are many false teachings out there, and that's why it's important for us to always be reforming the church, always going back to the truths of Scripture. So let me pray quickly and ask for God's help as we dive into the text today. Pray along with me. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for 
this time that we can be together. God, I thank you for those that you have raised up throughout history. I thank you for your spirit and your word. And how your word is the authority that we need and is the ultimate authority. That authority does not rest in certain people or even in the church. Your word is our authority. And as preachers and as churches, the only authority we have that's been given to us by Christ is as far as the word speaks. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through your word today to your people. I pray that we would look more like Jesus today. And for those who may be here who do not know you, Jesus, I pray that they would come to know you. Holy Spirit, help me as we work through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. October 31st, 1517. Luther puts his 95 theses on the, the church door in Wittenberg. 95 issues that he has that he wants to discuss with the church's teachings. The main things being that they are teaching this work salvation. And maybe, if you pay enough money, you could have some years cut off from purgatory and go faster to heaven. And we would say, purgatory? I don't see that in the Bible. Exactly. Another part of the teaching that was going on. But it really boils down to the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. That's really what the discussion is about. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, 5 through 20. If you do not have a Bible, there should be some pew Bibles in front of you. You can turn to page 821 in the Pew Bibles. What I want to do is read and summarize for you a little differently than I, I normally do. It's not just kind of one or two or four points in particular. I want to make observations throughout this text and then end with a thought. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has been going around with His disciples. And at the beginning of chapter 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to come and demand a sign of Jesus. We want, to, we want it to, you to prove it to us that you are the person that you're claiming to be. He had just fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000 before that. He's done tons of miracles, which were to be signs that would point to the fact that Jesus is the promised one of God, but they come looking for other signs. And the truth of the matter is, if they will not believe the Word of God, they will not believe anything. And so he calls them an evil and adulterous generation. Just so you know, if Jesus calls you that, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. So let me read through this first section here, uh, or second section in chapter 16. When the disciples, beginning in verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Kind of like, oh, Matthew, where's the bread? I don't know. John had it. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Real quick, Pharisees, Sadducees, two different religious groups who thought they would have definitely been the experts when it comes to the religion of the day. Judaism in particular, Pharisees are going to be those that are going to actually have more laws. They're going to be more strict. They're going to add more things to the Gospel. Like the Roman Catholic Church did at the time of the Reformation and still now. 
The Sadducees are going to be a little more liberal in their interpretation on things, and they're going to actually maybe be willing to take things out of Scripture or deny things like the resurrection, like other churches do today. Hillsong or Bethel or teachers like Joyce Meyer or Joel Osteen. So these two groups are coming to Jesus, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, listen, disciples, watch and beware of the leaven. Talking about bread, and he's going to leaven. And they begin discussing it among themselves. We, bought, we brought no bread. Doesn't this happen with the disciples a lot? Doesn't miss what's going on? Hey, doesn't that happen with us a lot? <laughs> we read God's Word, we just miss stuff. God's teaching us things, and we're like, huh, what? We brought no bread, verse 8. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Answer, 12. The 12 disciples doubted Jesus' provision. So he says, ah, give, me, give me this kid's little lunch he has over here. And let me show you how many people I can feed with this thing. And so he feeds everybody. And then there's 12 baskets left over, one for each disciple. Just as a little reminder there of who Jesus is. Or the seven loaves for the 4,000. And how many baskets you gathered? There were seven loaves there to remind them of the fullness of Jesus' provision. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's their teaching? It's that you need to add more. In short, I'm summarizing, but you need to add more to the gospel or we should take things away. That's what they're adding. They're changing. The word of God is not enough. The gospel is not enough. He's saying, beware, it will sneak in. And when it sneaks in, it'll spread. To where even right now, millions upon millions of people believe that they are saved because they are part of a particular church and they do not know the gospel. This is what Martin Luther was concerned with and Jesus is concerned with. Let's continue on. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, now watch this, who do people say that the Son of Man is. Now, this is one of Jesus' favorite ways to refer to himself as the Son of Man, which actually goes back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, where he talks about there's one, like the Son of Man, who would come riding on the clouds. And Jesus, every time he would say Son of Man, he's saying, Daniel chapter 7 is me. So he goes, hey, who, who, who does everybody else say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. He said to them, now watch this, but who do you say that I am? Friends, remember this. Ultimately, it will not matter what everybody else says or who, whatever they say of who Jesus is. What will matter on that day is who you have said Jesus is. He is either Lord now or not at all for you in your personal life. But make no mistake, He is Lord of all. He is ruling he is reigning. You either bend the knee now voluntarily or you will bend the knee one day. Now watch. You know, who's the first to speak right here of the disciples? Who is it? 
Peter, we love Peter. How many of you feel like you're a Peter? Yeah, yeah, there's more of you should be raising your hands, just so you know. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied. I can just see him like kind of pushing guys out of the way. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's a lot packed up when he says that there. To be the Christ would be the promised Messiah, meaning everything from the promise of Genesis 3.15 all the way through the Scriptures are about Jesus, the one, the suffering servant from Isaiah, the promised one from David's line, the line from the tribe of Judah, the promises that went to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so many other prophecies when he says that you are the Christ, you are the one who fulfills all of those things. And then, of course, Son of the living God. To be God's Son is to be God. That means that He could be the only one who is able to be the perfect sacrifice. The only one who's sinless. The only one who's able to actually be righteous and give others His righteousness. There's a lot that Peter says in that short phrase, and we could spend a lot of time unpacking, and I would encourage you to meditate on that. But look what Jesus says. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You didn't figure that one out on your own. Just so you know, none of us do. God must work in us to show us who He is. That's how it works. We respond to that. That's what we're praying. That's what we're praying for the nations. God, show yourself. Send people to go and preach the gospel. One of the main ways that he does that is the proclamation of his word. That's why it was so important during the Reformation that they would get the word of God in the language of the people. Because that was the problem. The church had control and they were the only ones who understood it because they were the ones that could read it and so they could teach other things. They could teach false things. And then Luther and others began to study it and go, wait a minute, this doesn't match up. And they began to translate it and get it in the language of the peoples. And the church was like, no, 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 no. We need to keep them ignorant. Because if you're ignorant, then guess what? You can be controlled. It's about power. But when the Word of God is in the language of the people and they have the Spirit of God, they can read. And He is the teacher. So he says, this is not something you figured out, Peter. This came from God. And now he's going to Move on. That's what he says in 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a highly debated verse because in the Roman Catholic Church, they're going to go here to say that Peter was the first pope. And this is where the idea of the pope is going to come from. And unfortunately, I think they have missed something here that Jesus is doing. Jesus is having a play on words here. You see, yes, Peter's name means rock, but it means something like a boulder. And so he says, Peter, you're the boulder. And I tell you, you are the boulder. But then he, when he says on this rock, he switches the word. John Piper's helpful here because he says the best translation probably of this would be more of the idea, not boulder, but bedrock. The foundation the idea of the foundation. It's the same one when we hear the parable about when the, the winds and the rains come, are you built on the sand or are you built on the foundation, the bedrock? 
which is Christ. See, Peter is not the bedrock. Peter's a boulder. And yes, God blesses Peter and God uses Peter and Peter seems to be first and there seems to be something to that with Peter. His name is mentioned first throughout the Gospels. We see that he's the first one to take the Gospel to the Gentiles. Paul then comes later. But the bedrock is Christ, make no mistake. The bedrock is not Peter. The bedrock is not the Pope. And so thus, the Pope cannot speak the words of God unless he's speaking this. But again, another teaching that is false in the church, the Catholic Church. So I tell you, Peter, Boulder, on this bedrock, I will build my church. What's the, what's the bedrock? It's what he just said just before that. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the bedrock. That's what the church is built upon. And when the church stops preaching that, you are no longer a church. But take heart, brothers and sisters. Even if individual churches stop preaching this, what does Jesus say he will do with his church universal? I will build my church. I'm not building the church. You're not building the church. You guys are not building the church. Jesus is building his church through us. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. Brothers and sisters, do not fear. Jesus wins. Amen? Now watch this. Let's finish here. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And people say, ah, see, Peter is the one with the keys, so thus the Pope is the one with the keys. That's what's going on here. No, again, we need to be careful with what we are studying. We see just a couple of chapters later when Jesus is talking about church discipline and what will happen. And he says, when somebody has sinned against you or they're in sin, you go to them one-on-one -on -one and, you, and you tell them about their sin. And you hope that they repent, but if they will not, then you grab somebody else and the two of you or three of you go and you share with that person, look at your sin, please repent of your sin. And if they will not, then they go before the church. And Jesus says, just so you know in that section as well, that He's with you when you have to do that. And just where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am with, with you. Just so you know, that doesn't just mean that there's a church every time there's two or three people together. That's not the point of that passage. The point of the passage is when you have to walk through church discipline, it is the hardest thing a church has to do. And so Jesus is saying, I'm with you in a special way if you have to walk through that. But then He goes in and He talks about those same keys. And he talks about the same idea there of whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What does he mean? He doesn't mean justice for Peter. He means it's you collectively, the church. When you proclaim the bedrock of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, those are the keys to the kingdom. People have to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. Those are the keys to the kingdom. That's how you get into the kingdom. And when you respond positively to the Gospel, the door is open for all who would cry out to Christ. And when you reject Him, the door is locked. And there's nothing else that you can do to get in. And those keys have been given to, yes, Peter, but to the church. And so whatever we do with those keys, the decisions that are made by people now are eternal. What is bound here will be bound in heaven. 
What is loosed here will be loosed in heaven. Those who cry out to Christ now before they die will be saved by His grace forever, not by their works. Last verse he says, then, I, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Wait, what? <laughs> you just made this speech about the bedrock. You just told us all these great things. We've got the keys. We need to go proclaim this. And he goes, now wait, don't tell anybody. But he doesn't stay there, does he? Don't tell anybody yet. He still had work to do. He still needed to die. He still needed to rise. And then before he goes, then he tells them, go and make disciples of all nations. Let them know. Take the keys of the kingdom and go to the ends of the earth and tell them not that Peter's great, not that the Pope is great, not that the, the, this church is great or that person is great. Tell them about the bedrock, about Christ, and that he's great. So Martin Luther was brought before this deet, and they said to him, Will you recant? Actually, he said, give me 24 hours. He said, let me think about this, because this was a big deal. And he comes back, and he says a list of things, but I have here on the end that I want to close with what he says, because it's a good encouragement and reminder for us, because brothers and sisters, make no mistake, it's coming. It's coming, and it is here. And it's happening all around the world. You need to recant from that book of yours, Christians. You need to interpret it differently. You need to follow suit with what everybody else says. Listen to what Luther says here. Since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer. Apparently he would run on like I do. <laughs> do you see the respect, though? Remember that. He still honors those in power. I will give you one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council, because it is as clear as noonday that they have fallen into error and even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced, watch this, by proof from the Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's Word, I neither can nor will retract anything. If you can't convince me from the Bible and the Holy Spirit's not going to show me, I'm not changing my mind. Doesn't matter what you're going to do to me. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. This is how he ends it. Watch this. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the time is now and the time is coming. This is brought to our doorstep. It is all around us. There are false teachings everywhere. And the Word of God is the authority. Our brothers and sisters throughout history have died for the translations that we have. We know that we have the keys to the kingdom for the world to hear the gospel. We keep preaching the gospel. We keep sharing the word. We keep helping the word get translated into people's languages. And when the time comes, we say, here we stand. God help us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace, love, and mercy. We thank you for your work throughout history. We thank you for your word and how you have led by your spirit men to write the scriptures, for those scriptures to be collected together and to be preserved for us throughout 
generations, and we're thankful that we have it. Our brothers and sisters around the world don't even have the Word of God in their language yet. Give us a passion to make that happen. Lord, help us to, to love your Word and see, see it for what it truly is, is your very breath. Help us to see the truth of Scripture, that our righteousness comes from Christ, outside of us, and by trusting in his death on the cross, in our place for our sins, in his resurrection, how he's at the right hand of the Father and one day coming back as the Son of Man on the clouds. Help us to trust in him and be saved and get a, give away any thought that our works can save us. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are here, who know you, help them to look more like Christ. Help us all to stand firm on the bedrock of Christ. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.